The following program is brought to you by the 511 Media Group. This program is available on iTunes, Spotify, the 511 Media Group YouTube channel, and 511mediagroup.com. Welcome to The Journey, Small Business Success Stories. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Richard Anderson, and I'm your host. Today's guest is Mike Coley. He's the CEO of Expert Roofing. Expert Roofing is one of Chicago's top roofing, siding, and restoration companies. They've built their company on a foundation of hard work, superior service, honesty, and integrity. In 16 years, Mike's built the company from a very humble beginning to a 600% increase from their first year to now. He oversees a large team of staff members and crew members to complete hundreds of projects each year that they deliver to their clients. If you're an entrepreneur who wonders if they can build a successful business from nothing, this episode's for you. Let's get started on the journey. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Um, When I started this podcast, the goal was to talk to entrepreneurs uh, who had a similar story to myself, an entrepreneur who started from a humble beginning has built a successful business from hard work, sacrifice, experience, dedication, desire to treat their employees well, and put the customer first. You certainly fit that description. Um, And I think many people find your uh, story compelling. So I typically like to go back to people's childhood, childhood, because the childhood typically makes who you are. Um, Not everybody has a great childhood. People have a charmed life sometimes. Um, So as whatever you're comfortable with, um, let's go back to your childhood. Where did you grow up? What part of the country? Um, well, I ended up settling in Carpentersville. Okay. Uh, but I moved around quite a bit before that, uh, pretty much before middle school, anywhere from Streamwood, Hoffman Estates, uh, even Alabama for one school year. Um, pretty much just kind of moved around a little bit around the Chicago area mostly though. Okay. Um, mom, dad, siblings. Uh, yeah. So, I have one sister, but she's much older, and um, we didn't grow up together after, I'd say, first or second grade. Um, both my parents, and, um, you know, I, I really grew up going to school, or uh, going to work with my dad every summer um, before school, um, things like that, so I just ride around with him, you know, starting at, like, age five. Um, I'd kind of get to see him do his thing at work, and, you know, he was a roofer, too, Um so yeah, I would drive around with them. Just worked my way up from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we never. It was really just a one man show for my dad. Mm. Uh, so we didn't have much money. My mom ran the phone lines and stuff like that. Uh, she would actually call. Uh, she would actually get a directory and call people to set up a gutter cleaning service, uh, and then we would go clean the gutters on the houses in Evanston, Skokie, you know, the North Shore area, and then. Um, we would use that to generate roofing business. So we would identify things wrong with the roof to do repairs, uh, give them quotes on that. And that, that was pretty much how that really, how the whole business worked. So growing up, you spent a lot of time with your dad. Yes. What are some of your most fondest memories? Because I know when I grew up, you know, my, I was an only child for 10 years. My parents worked a lot. So some of my most fondest, fondest memories are with my friends or, you know, spending time being creative, on my own uh, before my brother and sister were born. What are some of your most fondest memories? Um, I would say probably those times that I was at work with him um, in my early childhood was the best memories with uh, my father. It, it was a bit of a rough go in the household. Um, parents fought a lot. My dad was abusive to my mother. Um, it was just not a great home life. Mm-hmm. Um, but being a young child, you know, a toddler or five, six, seven, eight years old, I didn't, it obviously affected me and, and, and it really upset me, but it didn't make me really have angst toward my dad as much until later in life. Um, so I guess I still, most of my fond memories are from my early childhood with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time with my mom too. Uh, so 
if my dad was at work and I would, sometimes I would ride along with my mom and she would go drive around the North shore and drop him off stuff, drop him off material, go get a permit, stuff like that. So we spent a lot of time together too, just driving around and, um, got a lot of bonding time with my mom. Kids are pretty resilient. So even if you have things going on at home in your family life, parents aren't always getting along. Um, you know, I think every family struggles with that at some point. Um, I know I certainly did as a child. Um, I think your parents are trying to work things out. Then they have kids, you know, and they're like, oh, now we've got kids. We're still trying to figure things out. And the kids kind of are the collateral damage sometimes in, sure. in arguments. Um, but um, when you went with your father and you saw, was he a hard worker? I mean, was he, was he the kind of guy that was like getting after it every day, working 10, 12 hours a day? Yeah, um, Yes, he was. He was always at work. Uh, he was not really the installer. He was more of like the sales role. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he was there all the time, um, just hustling every hustling day. Every day, got it. We would even sit around in coffee shops that were in the areas that he wanted to work, and he would network while he's you know having coffee. That was the whole point of being there. Yeah. Uh, so he used pretty much every angle that he could use. So you learned work ethic. You learned kind of where your bit, and we'll get to it in a bit, but kind of where your business went to and your business model, you kind of learned that growing up from him. Um, what are some of the memories specifically maybe that you can remember when you were out with him, you noticed certain things or you noticed his work ethic or style or whatever that kind of formed how you do your business today? Um, I would notice that he was always, he was always in sales mode. So whether we were at lunch, whether we were at the gas station, whether anything, he was always looking for an opportunity. Uh, and, and that's really, that's, that's really something that I picked up from him that's helped along the way, because there's always, people always let their, their work ethic kind of do like a nine to five role where they're like, okay, I'm at work, but when I'm off work, that's it. Mm -hmm. And honestly, when you're trying to build a business from nothing, that can't be it. Right. Um, sure you know you well you're aware always, yeah. you're always in sales mode you're always looking for an opportunity especially at the beginning yeah so the networking part of it the work ethic part of it the hustle part of it is there anything that you saw growing up that he did that you went you know what i'm 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 not going to do it that way or i'm going to learn from what he's doing and, and build upon it oh absolutely <laughs> there was things that i learned that i would absolutely not do um my father was. And whether it's business or personal life, you know, because I know you're married now and you've yeah. got kids um, and it wasn't always that way, right. but you obviously learned from your father what not to do on the, on the relationship side, so yeah. to speak. What are some of the other things that you learned either, you know, not to do? Well, honestly, there were things that as I grew older, I started to see and did not um, appreciate and really strained my relationship with my dad as we worked together, even as I got closer to a teenager. Um, as I said, the more, the older I got, the more I started to realize that he wasn't as honest as I would have liked him to be. Mm. Um, he would see an opportunity to charge more money for something that didn't need to be, let's just say. Um, so he was really hustling. He was really, yeah. <laughs> he was a little over hustling. Yeah. Um, and, and I expressed to him, you know, as I got old enough to realize these things, like, this is not right. And it's not something that, that I want to be a part of. And it really kind of led us to clash more and more as we got older, um, working together. By the time I was 15 years old, um, I was really to the point where I, I didn't want to work with him anymore. Um, but again, it's my dad. It's, it's kind of a hard situation. Um, but yeah, we, we fought all the time about it. Or he would, honestly, he would charge for something. He actually did get in trouble for it. At one point, he charged for something that didn't need to be done. And um, I wouldn't have any part of it. I said, I'm not going to do that job. So it sounded like you were taking more of the honest approach. Yes. Which I know that you, you know, build your business around honesty and integrity. Yeah. Um, so it probably set the foundation for that part of your, for your, from your, you know, from your childhood for that part of your business. Yeah. Um, a lot of times people will go the opposite direction of their parents and a lot of things because they just, they, they can't see themselves doing what they did or making those same mistakes. Yeah. It sounds like it, it happened for you 
Um, you mentioned um, in, in your bio information in the uh, in the research leading up to this that um, your dad broke his hand uh, and you had to yeah. take some some time off uh, school. Um, you said you were you a good student? I was a terrible student. <laughs> so um, I, I I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and the ones that I talked to the ones that are really really good entrepreneurs always were bored at school. Like yes, for me, exactly. I wasn't a bad student. I was just bored. Yeah. I couldn't I, stand being in a classroom for 45 minutes. I really didn't want to be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to, you wanted to, you wanted to go out and do something, you know, make money, do whatever you wanted to do. Cause you knew I am never going to use three fourths of what I'm learning right now. Right. Never. Just never going to. Right. Yeah. So, um, how did that translate to kind of now? Like, did you see it back then that you're like, you know what, I'm going to go do this and I don't really need to be in school. I did actually. Uh, if I could have quit when I was 15 years old and gone to start a roofing company, I would have done it. Um, and I did end up finishing uh, high school, and um, and I did take that semester off to to basically do everything physical for my dad, because um, again, he was a one man show, and he brought in all the income for our family. <clears throat> and so, if he doesn't eat, you don't eat, right? Yeah. And a lot of times we were very close to not eating. Um, and that's. Pretty much my whole childhood, there was some some times where we had some decent money, but my dad would go out and blow it, and he was just terrible with money. Um, so a lot of times we were just really sitting there eating peanut butter and jelly. And that's all we had. Mm. Um, there was no money for for really anything. Um, but but anyway, so when I was eighteen, I ended up I did go out and start my own company, and, and I knew, named it Mike's Roofing, and I just did subcontracting work for other companies, and I did some small jobs where I passed out flyers for other. For uh, residential, uh, like in Crystal Lake, um, the Kendrick County area, and then uh, also the North Shore. But um, that, my dad found a way to end up uh, screwing that up. And Surprise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though I wasn't working with him, he ended up uh, doing a job, and he used my name to get a permit because he did not have a license. And I did not realize this. Mm. Uh, so... At 20 years old, when I was just starting to build my first company, I was doing pretty good. Uh, I got a letter saying that I was being sued for $172,000 because I I um, did a poor install on a flat roof. Mm. Of course, I didn't do the install, and I had no idea what they were talking about. Um, but I had no proof that I didn't pull the permit or do the job, so I ended up having to forfeit my license. Mm. Um so that was my first setback. Wow. How did that experience then lead you to starting your next venture? I mean, you obviously learned from it, but what was the most valuable piece of information? Because when you go through something like that, especially when it's family, and you feel like you were really misled, and you don't have that trust factor, how did that play into building relationships with people going forward in the business world? as far as being able to trust them? That's a good question. Um, so it led to me actually just, I was distraught, and not only because, you know, my own father just destroyed my hard work, um, but everything that I worked for was gone. Mm -hmm. So I went to go work for another roofing company just installing, and then I really, I had no intention of getting back and starting all over again. But it just, it's the entrepreneurial spirit, and I couldn't, I couldn't resist it. So just uh, three years later, um, I started Expert Roofing. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what helped me trust people again, but I, I'm a pretty trusting person. Maybe just, three years of you yeah. know, kind of letting shit go. Yeah. Um, I, I know that when people start businesses, their biggest fear, and this is this was me before I started mine, was... I, I either didn't think I was good enough to start my business, you know, like I didn't think it was going to work, or I wasn't ready to take the risk. I and never I, had those problems. I, no. I was always ready to take the risk. I, I never cared about that. And I, and I always knew that I could do it because I, I, I don't know. I've just done it. I see it, and I know exactly what I'm going to do. Um, it's just a matter of hard work. I, mm -hmm. I, think, I think that what you're saying where people don't believe in themselves or whatever it may be, there's there's a reason that people succeed. Well, I lost my train of thought here. Um, well, when you started your business the first time, 
you were out of high school, right? So you're like, okay, Mike's roofing. I'm going to be, yeah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this work. You had a situation where you had to close that down. You had a three-year period where um, you got to reflect on that. And I'm imagining every day during those three years, you're like, this is not what I want to be doing. I want to be doing my own thing. I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing my own thing. And then you had an opportunity to do that yeah. and move forward with your own thing. Um, you know, unlike myself, where I needed that time up until I was 42, really, to gain the confidence that I could go out. Because I think in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I'm getting a steady paycheck. If I walk away from that, it's on me. And not that I don't have confidence in myself to do the work or, or build the business, but what if? It's always the sure. what if, right? Sure. And so you don't, it seems like you didn't have the what if. You just like, I knew it was going to happen. Never had the what if. Um, I guess to credit to my father, I learned that the hustle, you know, mm -hmm. it's just ingrained in me. It's not, it's just, it's just how I feel, how I think. I know that I can do it. If this guy's doing it, I know I can do it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I don't feel like I was ever really built to work for other people. And that's really where an entrepreneur spirit comes from. You're like, look, I, you know, for me, it was, I got tired of people making my career decisions. And so I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to take my career and I'm going to form it from this point forward. And it just took me a lot longer than it seemed to have taken you. Um, so you started it in 2005, right? right? Um, humble beginnings. You started it out of one room. Yep. Uh, and so take us from that to um, maybe your first big experience. Like what took you to the next level? Because obviously you're, you know, a one or man, you know, one or two man show. What got you to the point where you're like, okay, I need to start building this business? How long did that take? Um, well, our first year was just a partial year. So that was, um, I think it started in September. Um, we Luckily, we had a great winter that year, so we were able to build momentum throughout the winter and still build roofs. Um, so 2006 was a, a really great actual first year. Um, I think we did four, a little over $4 million in uh, 2006. And that was me and, and a, a small group of friends that I hired and trained them to do what I do. Mm. Um, and really, there was no production manager that year. There was nothing like that. Um, we did end up being bringing in one of my friends to be a production manager uh, after that because I was finding myself being a little too overwhelmed. Um, uh, and then eventually, uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, the next following year, I brought her in to start doing some paperwork. Um, but really, we kind of, it was just like a slow steady growth but we still hovered around that four or five million dollar range for I don't know, a few years after that but um so i started to see opportunities and i said well if i can do this here then i can also mimic this somewhere else uh so i opened up an office in milwaukee and did some research on the area found that there, the the elements that i'm looking for were there also kind of matched up a little bit uh so i just said hey i'm gonna try it over there so i did um we did two million our first year there, not as good as here, but the conditions there are a little bit different, and we're starting from scratch. and 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 really, I wasn't there full time, so it was I wasn't expecting it to just blow up mm -hmm. like it did here. Uh, so, but that really wasn't where we blew up. It was it wasn't until I think we had um we had a storm here in Algonquin in two thousand eight, and uh, we ended up, so we ended up doubling our sales out of this Crystal Lake office. Mm. Uh, we brought on a few more people, and then I started to see, okay, I can see the, the, the growth pattern here. I can see as I grow sales, uh, the sales team, then I need to grow the production team to follow it. So we started to kind of catch up. So every time we would grow a little bit on the sales team, I would see the, the production end of it starting to strain a little bit. Then I would pick that up, and then we'd wait until that was ready to go until uh, we started to grow the sales team again. But uh, right around 2010, um, there was a big storm. I don't know if you remember this, but it stretched everywhere from mm -hmm. here, uh, McKinder County all the way to the lake, uh, Lake Michigan. It's like a once every 10 year storm. Uh, so the biggest storm companies came in from the country and they set up shop everywhere. Um, well, anyway, so I learned from what they were doing and, and I kind of got an idea of that and I got it in my head, hey, maybe I want to go do the same thing. 
uh, the reverse. You go to where they are. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, not moving anything that I had here because uh, this is just setting it up there. Exactly. Same model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that for a couple of years, and it was lucrative, and it was it was good. It was a challenge uh, because everything is temporary. So everything we're, you're there for a year. Um, you have to set up housing for any salespeople that you hire, a cruise that you bring in. So it was it was a different type of challenge, and it actually, I, th I thought it was pretty fun. Mm. Um, the problem with that came in when you start talking about kids and things like that. Um, I had my first child in 2010, and traveling just wasn't as appealing anymore. Uh, it wasn't practical. Uh, besides that, I found that the more that you're away from your business, mm -hmm. the less likely it is to succeed. So my core business is always here. So it just didn't make sense anymore. So I came back here and shut all that down and focused more on here. Once I did that, we were able to grow again. Mm. Um, what I find is that anything left unsupervised is going to decline. It certainly will not grow. Mm -hmm. um, it probably goes back to the trust factor too. Yeah. Right, because if you don't have the people, I mean, there's there's a saying that no one ever cares about your business as much as you do, and that's the truest statement that I've ever heard. Is it's rang true for me many times, right? Because they can, unless they have a piece of it, and most people don't just give pieces of their business to their employees, right? Right. Um, they uh, they go out and they um, make sure that they hire good people, but in the process of hiring good people. They have to make sure that these people that they're hiring um, are trustworthy. They uh, care about the business, but they're never going to care about it as much as, as you. Ne they just won't. No. They just won't. No, absolutely not. Um, let's go back to um, before you did the work in other cities. What were some of the challenges that you faced going from um, let's say four to eight million? You doubled, okay? There had to be logistical um, operational challenges that you came across. How did you, did you handle those yourself or did you bring somebody in to handle those? Um, that year. So uh, some of that was storm related. So there was an influx, um, that wasn't planned for. So yes, we did bring in some additional staff, but I think everybody kind of stepped in or stepped up their game to, to get through it. And then from there at the end of the season, when you can actually breathe, uh, then we started to bring in more staff to accommodate that because we, we never wanted to go back down. So we always plan to, once we hit a certain level, we're just going up from there. Um, so we brought in the staff to accommodate those sales and then it was time to grow the sales again. And, and that's what we did. So from about 2015 to today, we've had a very steady growth pattern. Uh, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to keep up sales to production, sales to production mm -hmm. and, office. So when you got to those other places, those other cities, and you were the one going out there and you were trying to run those, but they're all in different cities, right? Right. So how many different cities were you in? Uh, we would be in two different cities at a time. So we, we okay. would be running two different operations at a time. Uh, and I would have a manager there, of course. Um, again, the challenge was that I don't trust anybody that I don't personally know um, to run something remotely. Uh, and I get maybe that could go back to what happened with my dad. It, it could just be natural. I don't know. Um, but I wouldn't just hire somebody locally there to run the, the operation. So I would bring somebody from home that I trusted that was interested in managing that particular office, and I would move them out there temporarily. Well, that not only got old for us, but it, it got old for them as well. So that was another challenge. No. Not a lot of people, it's very difficult to get people that are interested in being away from home for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge of that because if you were, if you were willing to follow those storms, you would be slammed as, as often as you want. There's no limit to how much business you can have, but there's, there's a lot more logistical challenges to that than, than really I'm willing to deal with on a remote basis. Um, it's, you have to find people that you can trust. That's that's probably the most difficult part uh, about the growth for me, uh, because I have been let down by some people that I brought on, and um, and that's why I just I really just try to stick to loyal people. 
what uh, in the first, let's say, you started 05, you got to, to 10, in those first five years, what are some of the most valuable lessons that you learned in those first, you know, two, three, four, five years that you still use, utilize today? Like, what are some of those founding principles that you learned because you are on your own now, right? So you went through the the hardship that you, you know, originally started the business and it didn't, it didn't pan out. Now you've got the second, the second venture um, and you're now getting on a pretty good pace. What did you learn in that first three to five years that, that took you through? Um, probably the most prominent thing would just be to make sure you maintain your work ethic uh, because it's, it can be easy to, once you feel like you've, you know, you get the fat cat thing going where you feel like you've, you've done really well and now you can just kind of coast. But really, I mean, you don't grow that way and um, you don't even really maintain that well that way. So you always have to keep hustling, always. Um, otherwise, your business will start to slip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that the biggest thing that I've taken from what I've... So my first five years that I... The most important thing is always have your personal eye on things and always be engaged. Uh, there's been times where where I've failed to do that, and there's consequences for that. Uh, so I would say when you're first building your business, you want your hand in everything. You want to know what's going on with this guy. I want to know the details of your job. Like It's like information overload, which is fine when you're small, but you just need to kind of maintain that. But also, don't try to overload yourself so there's a balance there, but but never disengage from your business completely or just say, oh, well, I'm just going to show up and see how everybody's doing because your your business will never grow that way. Is it pretty much just having your finger on the pulse of the business at all finger times? Finger on the pulse, absolutely. Okay. Um, so you had this rapid growth, and then you, sh- you, you have this Milwaukee branch. Did you at some point shut it down? I did. Why was the decision? I mean, it's fairly close to the Chicago area. It's within a couple hour drive. Why did you decide? Was it for the same reasons as the other one? You wanted to focus on the area here? What Um, was the decision process? I I did not have leadership that I could trust there. Um, I had a manager there that I personally had a relationship with and uh, grew up with and uh, trusted him. Decided he didn't want to work there any uh, up in Milwaukee anymore because you know it, it's a commute, um, and he didn't want to move. So we had promoted one of the sales reps that were local to the area, and he just wasn't a trustworthy individual. So the liability of of not having trust in that just wasn't worth it for me. Um, so I would rather just focus all my energy here. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a theme from the beginning of the conversation to now that trust is a very, very big part of your journey so far, Yes. whether it's distrust or having to trust. I mean, as an entrepreneur myself, that's when you hire somebody, you sometimes don't know what you're going to get. And so you build that relationship with that individual. Um, It's almost a partnership without being a partnership, if you know what I mean. Like you're not actually giving them a piece of your business, but it is a, it is a partnership. Um, they say people who are employees are trading their time for money. And as a business owner, you're trading your money for time because you want to build your business so you can have time later in life to enjoy it. Whereas the employees are trading their time now for the money that you pay them. Um, and so I think that holds true to the fact that you're only as loyal as your options. And sometimes people have other options and they leave or they take advantage of you or they use that as leverage to get more with you. Um, I've never followed the money. You know, for me, it's always been follow the opportunity and see where it goes and the money will follow. Have you found the similar path? Yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you haven't followed the money, tell I mean, can you give me an instance where you're like, I made this decision based on the fact that I know it's the right decision. And then the money came. Anytime in that first, you know, five, 10 years that you own the business. Well, closing down the Milwaukee office uh, gave me opportunity to really focus here, and it's grown exponentially since then. Right. So that helps. Um, 
I could have followed the money con to continue to follow the storms, mm -hmm. um, but I think the better opportunity was here, um, not just for my business, but I mean for my family, happiness, and, and I think it all worked out. So you went from one office here, and then you opened another office in, down south uh, in Addison. Yep. Um, was that an easy decision? Yeah, it was an easy decision. Uh, okay. It was just more of um, trying to get a more of the market share in Cook County, um, that area. DuPage, uh, DuPage County came later. And is it more of just logistics? Like, hey, we're up here, but there's another there's another branch down there that can service that area more readily available. Yes. And then you open Geneva, so that's more of southwest, if you will, um, St. Charles area, Naperville, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Aurora. Um, Plainfield, whatever. Well, Plainfield, we had a storm, you know, how many years ago? You know that. You're yep. probably well-versed in that storm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, that made national news. Um, so between 2010 and 2000 and let's call it 17, you shut everything down uh, in other cities. You shut down Milwaukee, and you focused here. Yep. And so by 2017, you're, you've grown from 4 to $12 million. Um, yeah, Roughly. so we went from four in the beginning. Um, we went, from, yeah, we went to 12, then 15, then 20, then 26. And then last year during COVID, we did 27. Yeah, best year. Yeah. Even in a, even in a COVID environment. Yeah. Um, and I do want to get to that because I think there's some interesting insights um, for people who ran their business during the last year. Um, but to back up, so... You started with two employees, you and what, one other person, or was it just you and two employees? Oh, uh, me and one other person, and then okay. quickly grew to two other friends. And so now uh, you've got, what, 150 people as part of the uh, organization? As far as the sales team, we have uh, right around 40 on the sales team. Okay. And then we have seven in production currently. We're still staffing for the season. Uh, and then we have five in the office. Okay, and then the rest are field crew people. Yes, field crew. Got it, okay. Um, I've been to your office. I, you know, you, you're probably busting at the seams, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, we were looking for more space. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is you've got all of your sales and admin stuff on the first floor. You've got your production upstairs, and then next door you've got your shop for your, a lot of your materials and samples and things like that. Um, and that's just the one office there in Crystal Lake. I've been to your Geneva office there. It's a little smaller. Yeah. Um, but how do you spend your time now essentially running the business? Because you've got, you've got a sales force. Um, Dave's your sales manager. Um, that's got to be, I mean, just to, to touch base on that for a second, that's got to be a position where you've got to really trust that person. Yeah, well, I do stay heavily involved in, in a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff, um, like the marketing um, I do most of my help with the sales team is in the field. Uh, we have designated sales managers for each team. Uh, so we've got two sales managers in Crystal Lake, and then Dave is the general manager. Uh, we have two sales managers in Geneva, and then we have an assistant sales manager, and then we have a manager in Addison. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Dave handles a lot of the the – day-to-day -day stuff but uh, I do jump in and mm -hmm. and uh, all the big picture stuff I handle uh, so I try to stay as involved as I can uh, and I help out on the more difficult projects uh, sales team anything that they run into where maybe well you got 40 guys yeah so you can't be with everybody every day right um, do you try to touch base with each of your salespeople at least once a month once a quarter do you try to go out and kind of see what they're doing or do you leave that to your sales managers uh, I leave that I don't micromanage, so I'd leave that to the sales manager because I don't want to overstep, you know, mm -hmm. step on their tail. Um, but I do, we do have, like, group messaging where so everybody's in a, a, a group chat or each office has their group chat, and there's a general group chat. Uh, so I do jump in there all the time and, and answer questions, or if I see somebody struggling with something, then I try to help with that. Um, so I do try to direct traffic that way mm -hmm. somewhat. When you started in 2005... And now it's 2021. Um, did you see yourself being this big at that point in time? Or did you think, you know what, it might be me and a couple of buddies, me and a few guys, we might just run this thing for a while and see where it goes. Or did you really think it could be what it is today? Um, I'm not really sure that I thought about that, to be honest with you, when I first started. Um, I just thought, 
you know, I just want to be on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, well, there really were only three other companies that did what I did, uh, insurance restoration in the Chicago area at the time that I opened. Um, so there wasn't a lot to like look at to kind of get a, like a, a gauge on what other contractors are doing. Um, but once I started to see that, hey, these other contractors are growing, um, I would say it was probably around 2007. I started to notice, you know, hey, these guys are getting bigger. Um, I said, well, why can't I do that? So I started to expand. Um, so the way I look at it is if I see, if somebody else can do it, I feel like I can do it too. What's the biggest challenge as far as your industry in what you do? Because when I look at it, I say, okay, you do, um, I think you guys call it cash work. But, yeah. you know, it's it's direct to the consumer yeah. um, work that they pay for out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have a lot of insurance work. It's probably the bulk of your business, I would assume, is, yes. is the insurance work. Um, and that's a pretty lengthy process. And a, and the bid process is, is uh, and the whole process of getting the adjusters and the underwriters and all that to approve the work. Um, it seems like a daunting undertaking, you know, when you're, when you're starting small because you don't have a lot of capital. You probably don't have a lot of lines of credit. And so you're footing the bill. You're buying all the equipment. You're buying all the materials. You're putting everything up. And then you're waiting for the checks from the insurance company. How scary was that in the beginning? It was it was almost week to week in the beginning. Um, I was paying myself almost nothing. So I would only pay myself a portion of my own sales commissions. Mm. Um, there, really, there really wasn't much money to be had. There was almost, even though we did $4 million in business, that money was dragged out because the insurance companies take quite a while to pay out. Uh, so it really stretches your finances really thin, like you're mm-hmm. saying. Uh, so really it was just, I didn't really spend any money on myself personally until probably 2008, mm. something like that. That I mean, first three, I didn't even it took own three years. Yeah. 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 Um, it would seem to me that, I mean, when you're starting out, you don't have lines of credit, no. right? And I mean, it's easier when you get bigger, you know, they always say right. your first million is a big deal, right? Yeah. Cause it opens more doors. Then your 5 million opens more doors, 10 million opens more doors. So as you get bigger and bigger, the banks are more, you know, readily available to lend you money. Well, I actually have never had a line of credit with a bank. Wow. So it's all been cash driven. That's awesome. Yeah. I, my business, we've never opened a line of credit, not once. And we probably operate, I would say, 80 to 85% on a, on a cash accrued basis. You know, we bring money in, we put money out. There's not, you know, we don't really put things on credit. We have a couple of vendors that we do that, like our gas card, we have yeah. that. And, um, uh, we have, uh, you know, like our paint, you know, our, 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 our paint vendor, um, you know, we spend a hundred thousand dollars a year in paint, but you know, that's paid monthly. Right. Um, so there's no really revolving credit, so to speak. And I find that's kind of freeing. Yeah. I don't know about you, but absolutely. When I don't have these loans, over my head crushing me going, well, you're going to be paying, you know, six or 8% or whatever it is to get, you know, a hundred thousand dollars line of credit. When we have things like last year happen COVID, right. And businesses are going, we, we lost four out of every 10 businesses so far last year. I think it's probably going to get up to six or seven when this, thing, sure. this whole thing is done, even with the PPP loans, um, even with the grants and so forth. I would say that um, for me, you could never prepare for a pandemic, Right. Right. Or what we went through. Um, you know, everybody has their own opinion about um, what we went through. But the seriousness of it was people were really affected. And when it started in March, we certainly felt it. Now, you're just coming into your season when this started. So yeah. that's got to be a little scary for that, you. That was scary. Because um, you didn't, it was the unknown. You didn't know what, how people were going to react. Even yeah. though it, your work is 99% outside. It It is absolutely 99% outside. Um, and honestly... Up until that point, most of our business was originally generated through a small amount of telemarketing, but a lot of door knocking, to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest with you. So that was the scariest part. And that's gone. Yeah. Because you can't knock on people's doors right. because they're not going to answer. That was gone. So we had to quickly adapt. Um, my wife, luckily, is a genius with Facebook advertising and uh, digital marketing, stuff like that. So she helped us make that transition mm-hmm. on the fly. So her Facebook ads generated crazy amounts of leads. We did a 
excellent job closing those. Those were not only were the, the leads plentiful, but they were excellent leads. People were actually genuinely interested. Whereas the telemarketing, I'll be perfectly honest with you, half the time you show up and they have no idea who you are, mm-hmm. um, which is frustrating. Um, so it was a really good experience. Um, not to say that someday we can't go back to doing some door knocking, but um, it's great to incorporate both. Would you say that one of the benefits then of the last year is your business model changed yeah. for the better? Absolutely. And it's probably things you wouldn't have even thought about doing had it not happened. Honestly, my wife had uh, tried to bring this to my attention a year ago, a year prior. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so accustomed to how we did business that I just wasn't as open to it. As I would I, call it stubborn for stu- me. <laughs> yeah. Stubborn's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty hard headed. <laughs> I, I like control and I've, I've been learning over the last year that it doesn't matter how much control you think you have over a situation you really don't control the situation that controls right. you. And so all you could do is adapt um, and get better at what you do. Um, but getting back to the getting back to the finances part, I think a lot of the reason that people went under is because they didn't prepare for that rainy day. And they were living on lines of credit and they were living on overextending themselves. Um, you know, I know, and one of the things that we have, you know, we, we pretty much buy our vehicles for cash. I have one vehicle because we went to buy a vehicle and they said, well, you know, you should really finance this because you almost have no credit because you do everything on a cash basis. Right. And I was like, really? And they're like, it's actually hurting you. I said, okay. So, you know, we bought one of our vans on credit and it's just, a, you know, every month we just send in, you know, whatever the payment is. And we've been doing that for three years and, it, and it's actually helped us. Um, but your, your model's a little different. Um, you know, a lot of your guys are, um, what would you call them? Independent contractors? Is the that sales team, yeah. Yeah, sales team. So they kind of supply their own trucks and things like that. But I know you do things to compensate them for that, which right. is great. As a business owner, you're taking care of your guys. I haven't run into any of your guys that don't just absolutely love working for your company. That's one of the things that I think drew me to having you on is I wanted to find out kind of the man behind the the business because um, you're very quiet, you're reserved, um, which is very uncommon for you know a CEO that's built the company from where it was to where you are now. So some of the questions that I have um, are going to be more of how did you do that? How did you do it, you know, going forward and get the people to respect you at the level that they do? And one of those things is what did you do? You know, how did you pivot? And, And that's a very cliche term, but last year, other than the marketing, what other things did you do to get involved to help the business to have your best year ever? I mean, what did, what are some of the things that you did? Uh, I mean, other than the marketing was the biggest part of, of what my wife and I did. Um, I just, I tried to get involved with, again, on an individual level, helping some of the salesmen with the, with the bigger projects. Um, and, and we have, uh, an excellent, uh, guy who specializes in commercial that we had brought on, uh, Roland Fleck. And, um, my focus was pretty much helping him, but, but again, getting back to all the difficult jobs and stuff like that. So I try to maximize. I'm like, okay, this might be a tough year because we're not door knocking. Who knows if the marketing will work? So I was just trying to maximize. Let me get every little opportunity that I can get. Mm-hmm. So if I see somebody struggling with a difficult adjustment, I'll be there. Um, so like big cedar claims, uh, which are very difficult to get through. Mm-hmm. So I help get those approved. Yeah. Um, so I was just trying to make up for what I felt like we were going to lose. And I'll be honest... A lot of, so I, the saving for a rainy day thing, Mm -hmm. that's ingrained in me because I grew up so poor that it's like, I see my parents never saved for a rainy day. Every time my dad got money, he blew it. Mm -hmm. And then come winter, we had no money. So that was the one thing that I And your business is cyclical. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, from November to March, you guys aren't doing much. Right. So except on the restoration side, maybe, but you know, in, no, we don't do on, on, the, on the, on the, on in, the, if you did the inside stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's probably very few things that you do. No, nah, I winter. mean, we don't save anything for the winter. Got um, it. So like it, we don't ever do just interior. Uh, there's interior that comes along with the roof project that, which we do at the same time. So, okay. So yeah. So really you're right. nothing. You're right. Like really five months of the year. You're just, you're preparing for the next year. Right. Wow. So you up. really have to save. I mean, yes. you really have to manage the business to the point where you know 
okay, I'm paying these guys. And then they have to also, you have to instill that in them. Like, look, you're going to be getting these checks all year. You got to save for the next year. Um, And I know a lot of your guys do kind of some other things um, in the winter to kind of keep them, keep them going. I don't know if I could sit around for five months (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and do nothing, but does it give you that time then during that five months to really prepare for the next season? Um, You would think so, but really the, there's so many things that go along with the insurance restoration part of it. Like um, supplementing takes forever because you're, you're not only waiting on you to get your paperwork done, but now you're waiting on an adjuster and you mm-hmm. have no idea what his timeline might be. You're playing phone tag with different adjusters. Uh, there's a lot of that that gets done in the five months that you're talking about. Mm. And then there's a couple of months in there where we do. Um, are you talking about projects that already happened or yeah. projects that are coming up? Projects that already happened. So you're trying to get paid on work that you've already been yeah. doing. Oh, there's sometimes we don't get paid for nine months to a year after we do the job. Wow. It just depends. Um, that's that's not the the, uh, the rule. That's more the exception. Probably not the norm. But yeah. still. Um, but yeah, there is a, a month there where we have some training and some like catching, getting geared up. Uh, there's a month there where we have some time to evaluate the staff and see what else we need to add and then start putting up ads, stuff like that. And do you do that? Like some companies purge their, you know, bottom 10% of their people and hire more. Just you guys just keep who you have. It's a pretty loyal following. Yeah. We don't have, I mean, we have hardly any turnover to be honest Mm. with you. Um, And and I think, I hope that that goes back to just, I will, my thing is I like to treat everybody fairly. If anything there, you know, I try to pay them a little bit more uh, than other people. Um, I just feel like I see these other companies, and obviously, um, I'm not going to name any of them, but <laughs> they burn and churn through people. And I, sure, I could see how that could save you money. Uh, however, you're constantly recruiting people, you're developing this horrible reputation, and you're just treating people unfairly. Uh, and, and I don't think people respond to that. I think you develop a reputation, and when you start to go try to hire people, people ask around. It, it's, it's, there's a lot of people in the industry, but it's really a small industry because a lot of it's online and people talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're screwing people over, people will know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, like, it goes back to my dad. Like, I don't like screwing people over. That was his thing. It's hard to get back your reputation. It is. And I don't think a lot of businesses understand that. You know, once you have a reputation for being X, you're X. Yeah. The market dictates it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a saying that you can't control what other people think. You can only control what you can do, right. you know, and, um, in your business, I think that's, you know, you know, the storm chasers, you know, the guys that are out there just chasing a storm, chasing a roof, chasing this, um, the guys that I, I meet, are they, they're out there with the best interest of the customer in a lot of cases. Now I'm not going to say every one of your guys takes that approach. Maybe some guys are I, in it for the I money. Hope so. I don't know, <laughs> but um, so I don't want to speak for everybody, but as a business owner, your hope they are out there taking care of the customer first, yes. right? And um, I know that when I started my business, I said, I want to value my employees because they're their, your most important asset. Regardless of what you do, your employees are your biggest asset. Yes. But I also want to make sure that I put the customer first because there's how many companies do you come across where they don't put the customer first and it's all about profit. And it's not about building a relationship with the customer. You have a lot of repeat business um, or referral business, referral, I should say. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of our business. Again, door knocking is big, but that's only really to start out the season to generate the referrals. Mm-hmm. Referrals is where we thrive. Yeah. So you do a job for, let's just say you do a job for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They love the work. They recommend you to their neighbors. They recommend you to their family. Then you get another job and another job. And they told two friends and they told two friends. And yeah. pretty soon that one job leads to five or six other jobs. Right. That's, and you can't do that if you don't do good work. That's correct. Correct. Okay. So um, let's talk about um, in the middle of the pandemic, what were some of the challenges that you faced going to these people's houses? Uh, well, the storm hit the North Shore uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the worst places it could have hit for that because Skokie, Evanston, there are a lot of elderly homeowners. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a difficult challenge. There was a lot of talking through the door. Um, and I don't know if you ever try to sell something through oh, yeah. a closed window or mm-hmm. a door. With um, a mask on. With a mask on. It's pretty tough. So it was, honestly, it was scary. I, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. But I think the f- that fear kind of, and then 
people just kind of got used to it after a little bit. The fear subsided a little bit, and then it just started to work better and better throughout the year. And people got used to it. So one of the things that we did was uh, virtual um, sales. Mm. So we would say, we'll talk to you through FaceTime, you know, stuff like that. So we adapted a little bit there. Um, Do you utilize Zoom at all um, for any of your inter, you know, internal meetings? Uh, no, we didn't need. Okay. We didn't really need that. We don't have a ton of internal um, group meetings. Got it. Um, but we did do virtual contract signing, so we switched to digital e-sign, like a DocuSign type yeah, of thing. Exactly. Got it. That helped a lot. Mm. Um, and the insurance companies actually followed suit with that, and they were doing virtual inspections. So they would have us go out and do the inspections, take a video, and FaceTime them while we're doing it. And uh, basically, we were the adjuster on a lot of different claims. Do you ever use drones for that? We do. Okay. Because it would seem like since they have the HD capability, and you could just download that file without even having to get on the roof, really. Yeah, right? and, and we've been doing that for probably uh, four years. Okay. Uh, but it's more the exception of the rule. It became pretty common last year. But you were, but see, my point to that was, if you're a, a forward-thinking business, You've already thought of that. You've already implemented it, and you were ready for something like last year yeah. to happen. You know, I don't. I don't think any. Again, I, yeah. I think I said this earlier. I don't think you can plan for a pandemic, but you can plan for if something were to happen and I needed to go virtual. I think everybody's planning for that now. Oh, everybody you just don't ever know. Will, yeah, right. It 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 changed the landscape of business forever. Yeah. Um, think about you know, and 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 I talk about this. Um, in other podcasts and I talk about this with other people and it's really not business related, but think about the concert and live event um, venues. They've, they've been basically empty for the last year. Yeah. And so artists have had to um, go virtual. Um, there was a, there's an artist that I follow, uh, Chris Daughtry. Daughtry um, he was on American, American Idol. Yeah. He had a concert on Friday. It was virtual. You paid your 20 bucks and you got to see it, and he had some new songs and things like that. Um, I wasn't able to make it, but you can still go on and, and do that. And a lot of artists have, have done that. Some artists are playing a venue, and um, I think Brad Paisley was one of those artists that um, Bud, Bud Light or Bush Light, I think it was Bud Light, basically paid for him to do this concert, and then everybody was able to watch it live streaming. Kind of what you're talking about. Like right. They had to adapt in that industry because it was 100% in person, you're in person. You can't do your job remotely. Right. There's a lot of people that can do their job remotely. You're, I'm one of them that can't do it. You can't do it remotely. So you have to adapt. Um, well, I, one of the challenges was um, those interior jobs mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, a lot of them that we had to push off or just not do. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of different challenges. You're right, the virtual thing is a big thing. Um, we started doing more droning. We actually invested in a thermal drone so that we could, um, not not really COVID-related, but so we could scan the thermal image of, of large commercial flat roofs and mm. identify where all the saturated insulation is, and it actually helped us a lot. How much of your business is commercial, percentage-wise? Probably about 15%. That's still a pretty good number, even yeah, though you're probably more growing. known for your residential business. Yeah, but it, it's, gr it's grown... Ex again, Roland came in and he specializes in commercial, so a lot of that is through him. But uh, but the, the sales reps they sell residential and commercial, so a lot of them have gotten jobs on their own as well. Um, just through, I mean, we haven't marketed commercial at all, to be honest with you. Uh, it's all through referral. Just organic happens. Yeah. So yeah. we do their ha uh, the homeowner has they either own or work at a business and they refer us to them and that work. works out well. Yeah. Um, so let's pivot a little bit to your business style. Um, Cause I think entrepreneurs who have um, wanted to start a business or are thinking about starting a business or have started a business and they've kind of come from the same background that you do. And they say, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it. Right. There has to be so some things along the way though, that you um, had to point to and say, I learned this and it really helped me in my in the way I run my company. And I'm not talking about employees and I'm not talking about your customers. I'm just thinking mindset. Like what are some of the things that you do personally um, to get yourself ready to run the company on a daily basis? And what are some of your principles that you have that you say, these are my principles, I'm gonna stand by them and I'm gonna run the company this way. 
I think it helps people understand um, maybe why you're successful. I think the the bedrock of everything in my business and should be the bedrock of every business is to always treat everybody fairly, uh, even when it hurts. Um, I mean, just a couple of days ago, I just paid $6,200 uh, for a flooring repair uh, because a roof that we put on leaked. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the actual, so the issue wasn't technically our fault. So they were, they should have replaced or they should have paid the customer was actually responsible for replacing a chimney shroud. Okay. Something that we should have caught and mentioned to them, but technically we weren't paid to replace it. But anyway, so it comes down to, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. It, it ultimately comes down guilt to guilt by omission. Exactly. Got it. Um, so just not skirting your responsibilities, even when you see like a loophole to do so, mm-hmm. it's not just with customers, it's with employees, sales reps, your crews, uh, you want to treat everybody fairly because everybody is a valuable member of the team. Um, whether it's the person installing the roof, the person cleaning up the job site, the sales rep, you know, whoever's scheduling job or the girl in the office, it, it doesn't matter. You have to treat everybody fairly. Mm. That's the biggest thing that I could tell you for sustained for sustained ex- success. I would say there's a saying um, that I, I was told through, one of my CEOs uh, early in my career that the saying that they went with is I treat everybody fairly, but not equally. And the reason that they say that is you have different levels of people in your company. There's people that care more about your company than other people. There's better performers. I think it came down to performance. I think that's what he was talking about. Like, you know, you have your star performers, you know, I don't have to mention them, but I, 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 there's a few salespeople that are just, stellar for right. you, for your business. You're going to treat them different than you treat the guy who's just selling a couple hundred thousand dollars in roofing a year. Um, you're treating them both fairly, but you're not treating them equally. Would that be a fair statement? Sure. Okay. Some people get a little bit more leeway. Correct. Correct. And you know, there's a little a- animosity, I think sometimes when that happens, but you have to point out to the employees that look, if you were doing what that person was doing, you'd be treated that same way. Yeah, um, I, I don't think that we have that animosity because I think that they can recognize that. They're smart enough to figure that out. Yeah. You would hope, right? Yeah. You would hope. Um, you mentioned your wife. So you got married when you were 30? Well, uh, I was married and divorced. Okay. Um, so my wife and I got married uh, three years ago. I got it. How has that helped your business? Um, and I say that from a, like a partner standpoint because you don't really have a partner, right? You just It's your, right. it's your business. Yep. So it's yours and, and your wife's. Um, how has she changed your business or how has she supported you in, in order for you to be successful? Because, you know, the saying is behind every man is a great woman. Right. So, um, well, so we have a blended family. Um, she had two children. I had two children and, uh, they're all young. So seven to 10. Mm-hmm. So me raising two kids on my own, although I, although, um, my daughter is 50, 50, uh, with my ex-wife. So, um, that wasn't as difficult, but I, uh, my son was from a, a different relationship where the, his mother passed away. Mm. Uh, so I spent two years, um, raising him, you know, very young by myself. Um, so that was very difficult. It took a lot of energy. Um, it, it probably, it made it a challenge to split time with work and him and, and feel like I was treating both fairly. Um, Granted, it was fun. I, I, I loved having all the time with them. Um, but having Susie here is, she's she's a stability in my life and, uh, you know, like a rock where I feel like now I have like a family unit mm-hmm. and, uh, and I feel like um, I can focus without feeling so worried about what's going on at home. You know what I mean? Yeah, the one thing I would say is we've been connected via Facebook for a couple of years now. And, you know, you get updates, timeline updates from, you know, all the people that you're connected with. And the one constant that I see is you're always doing something with your family. It's always family oriented. I think that people lose, and I, I, it happens to me all the time is quality of life over quantity of life. Um, Do you get, you think you're at a point now with the business that you can now focus more on the quality of the life 
versus yeah. just having to really just go balls out every day. And I do, I do. Um, um, I, I what kind of feeling does that give you, like, personally? Like from a from a, a reward standpoint. I mean, do you finally feel like you can take a breath and go, okay, now I can enjoy it a little bit? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the last, I mean, other than the fact that we had to pivot last year with the mm-hmm. COVID thing, the last two years I've had more time to do that. Because obviously if I had children when I first started this, there's no way that I could have grown it the way I did because it just, there's just not enough energy. Too much time, time away from the family. Yeah. Yep. I get it. I, I, I totally get it. I, I, uh, I worked out of town for many, many years and came home on the weekends and my daughter never saw me and my wife felt like a single mom yeah. for a long time. And then we finally made the decision to, to make that change and just circumstances happened and I, it was, it kind of helped. It happened on its own. So I didn't have to make that change, even though I already had made the decision. Um, my position was eliminated in the company and I pivoted right next to, to the next, um, opportunity. And then, um, and then into this one that I've been doing for almost eight years. And as a business owner, and I don't know if you can relate to this, the thing for me is, um, as a business owner, it the, the reward is not um, necessarily the, the fact that, I'm, that I own my own business. It's the, f- the freedom that I have. And when I say freedom, it's not like I'm going golfing every day and I'm you know, I have all this money. I've, I've probably never worked harder and I make less money, right. you know, than I did before. But the freedom of knowing it's mine and the decisions that I make are my decisions, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, they're my decisions. And the freedom of knowing that no one else is controlling my destiny. Absolutely. Um, would you 100%. say, would you agree with that? And, and, and what other piece of advice would you give to young entrepreneurs that are thinking, well, I don't know if I should start my business. What would you tell them? If you're truly an entrepreneur, absolutely, you should start your business. <laughs> but um, no, I would say that um, in the beginning, you have to put in some, there was there was nights where I didn't see my daughter a lot because I would come home after she went to sleep, just like you, um, and I would only see her on Sundays. And when we got divorced, um, I, would always, I would only have her on the weekends because even though we had 50-50, I would barely see her the other days. Mm. So make time um, at some point. I know that you have to put in your, your everything to get it started, but at some point you have to find a way to level off and make some time for family. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, um, family is one of those things where it can be a blessing and a curse, right? You talked about your, your, your family growing up, but I think you learned a lot from that and it shows how you treat your family now. Right. Like right. you learned how to be a father. You learned how to be a husband by knowing what not to do. Yeah. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, obviously there were some things that, you know, obviously nobody's all bad. Mm-hmm. So there's things I picked up that were good and bad for my parents. And uh, my mom was great and my mom's still great. My mom is still, um, she still helps me out. She actually works in my office. I think you know that uh, in Geneva, um, Sandy. Yeah. I've, I've met her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she's great. Uh, she has a great relationship with my kids and, um, my father passed away, you know, quite a while, quite a while ago, but, um, yeah, it's, did that help you uh, not to get too, you know, deep into the personal stuff, but did that help you kind of let that go once he passed away? Did you then kind of feel a sense of relief maybe? No, you know what? I had let that go a long time ago. I, I don't really hold, you know, grudges very long, um, I kind of like, I try, first of all, I try to see the best in people. Uh, and sometimes that really bites me. Um, you know, and with him, it, it did in particular with that whole license issue. Um, and, but I mean, I, we fought like all the time, Sure. but, uh, but deep down I, I had forgiven him. So already. you're a person that extends trust. And then if, if it's apparent that it's not going to be, reciprocated, then they lose your trust, which yes. it's, it's given, not, er, not earned right. essentially. Right. Yeah. Some people are like, you got to earn my trust. And right. it's given yours is more of a, I'm going to give you my trust until you give me an, uh, a reason not to trust you. Yeah. I just, I just never wanted to live my life like being that person that didn't trust people. Cause it's just, I don't know. It's an uneasy feeling. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just want everything to go well, you know? Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple last questions here. Um, I appreciate your time. Um, I know it's really valuable. Um, we've been trying to get together for a while. 
Um, and I appreciate that. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years and your business? Um, I don't know that I, I want to grow all that much more. Um, I don't, I, I've thought about it. So I, I've gone back and forth on that a little bit, uh, about re-exploring other markets, stuff like that. And, um, I don't know if I want to go that route because I feel like it's so difficult to build. Uh, and it's actually, I mean, it's difficult to grow. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. I, f I think that I'm probably going to be right around where we are now. I, I would like to develop more on our commercial end. If anything, I'll grow more that way. Um, but I think the residential, because you're dealing with so many people, so many customers, mm -hmm. um, I don't know that I want to do too much more. Um, I like where I'm at with that. Do you find yourself getting into any other businesses? Cause I know your wife's got some interests that she, she, go, she does some, um, renovations and things like that. Is that, do I have yeah, that right? She, so yeah, we did, we did some house flipping last mm -hmm. year, um, which was fun. Yeah. But, uh, the market was weird. So we got a little weird, a uh, little nervous about it. Sure. It was um, a weird year. It's a weird year. Yeah. yeah. But they sold quickly. We just didn't make a lot of money on it because when you're first starting out on it, I think you're kind of feeling out who your your different vendors and contractors would be. Sure. Um, so we didn't do very well with that, although it was fun. I think that we could do very well. But now we're kind of moving into we're buying our first house in Florida. Uh, we're planning on starting a Airbnb portfolio. Um, okay. So I'd like to get up to maybe like 10. I think that's going to be ultimately be our retirement plan. Um, but uh, I do have a an operation in Colorado, a small, uh, uh, roofing business okay. uh, in the Denver area. Uh, and that's small, clean and easy to, to operate. Um, so I like that. Uh, we're going to grow that a little bit, but nothing crazy like here. Um, but yeah, I think that that's probably about it. Awesome. I really do appreciate the time today sure. and, um, I know it's valuable and, uh, I just I thought you were one of those people I, I, I admire from afar because of what you've done and accomplished. And um, I just wanted to little, get to know you a little bit better. And I think uh, people walk away from the interview and say, I kind of know what he's about and uh, learn a few things along the way. And I do appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.